You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. The following podcast contains adult content, explicit language, and sexual themes. Listener discretion is advised. And it contains murder. Lots and lots of murder. You stinking bastard. People tell me, hey, you're going to go die and go to hell. I mean, I'm not alone. Down for 911, we're for emergency. Oh, this is Sandy. I'm pretty one look. Talk to the roof. What's Send the police. Send the police. One in the chest, one in the head. Fired by Detective Sergeant Roger Rogerson. I was uh, branching out. That's when the cannibalism started. Eating of the heart and uh, the arm muscle. Oh, oh we're now Carl Williams. He's got a comic tail with this and just pulled it out of his backside. Carl Williams is a wobbly bottom little cher- cherub face, cherub face little boy who would, who, 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 who's, who's life would be. I harm someone each time I kill someone to be an enormous amount especially at first an enormous amount of horror guilt remorse afterwards but then that impulse to do it again to come back even stronger William Jackie Jackie Westwood was an English-born bushranger and serial escapologist who was transported to Australia at the age of 16 for stealing a fancy coat he promptly escaped and roamed the countryside, tipping his hat at ladies and looking flash in haute couture whilst relieving folks of their valuables. In his four-year career, he was captured dozens of times, but more slippery than a banana peel dipped in custard, he always managed to escape. That was until the Cooking Pot Rebellion of 1846, where Jackie Jackie finally made a stand and stood up for what he believed in. Hi, I'm Barney Black. And I'm Tara Saraban. And this is Bloody Murder. We're a comedy true crime podcast focusing on some of the lesser known crime stories from Australia. And indeed around the globe. As a comedy true crime podcast, we often use humour to lighten up horrifying stories, but never at the expense of the victims or their loved ones. If you think comedy has no business being associated with tragedy, then Bloody Murder may not be the podcast for you. Now, before we commence our sordid tales, we'd like to remind you that this episode is brought to you by our wonderful and generous patrons. We've had quite a few new ones join our new fancy Patreon program, which we will thank individually after our story. If you'd like to become a patron, go to our website for details. That's bloodymurderpodcast.com. As a patron, you have access to dozens of other episodes, including our rusty, dusty and cross-thrusty first season (laughs) and ad-free versions of our regular episodes. As well as exclusive patron-only monthly episodes where we talk more about murder. We really, really do. (laughs) Levels above $5 receive stickers and handmade Barney badges. Now, we're recording separately again as we've been put back in COVID lockdown for at least the next six weeks. I should point out, it's not just the two of us that have been put into lockdown. No, 
no, if only it was just the two of us. But it's actually all of Melbourne. All right, Tara, let's get murdery. It was unseasonably warm on August 7th, 1820 in Essex, England, when William Westwood entered this world. His mother Anne had a feeling as she looked at the face of her newborn that William, later known as Jackie Jackie, was bound for greatness and that there was something special about the twinkle in his eye. His father James did not share his wife's predictions of grandeur for their new bub. In fact, he did not find out about the birth of Jackie Jackie for several hours as he had been enjoying a few pints at a local alehouse, as he did most nights. Two weeks later, when Jackie Jackie was baptised at the Church of St Mary the Virgin, Anne still could not shake the feeling that her son was exceptional and destined for an uncommon life. James and Anne Westwood had six more children, but Jackie Jackie remained Anne's favourite. Jackie Jackie was taught to read and write and grew up to be a smart but tough teenager. His clever mouth and his rambunctious behaviour constantly found him at odds with the local constabulary. His occupation was listed as an errand boy. So basically a 19th century bicycle courier. Yeah, but without the bike. On March 10th, 1834, at the tender age of 14, Jackie Jackie appeared at the Essex Lent Court in Chelmsford, accused of the impressive charge of highway robbery. It was put to the court that Jackie Jackie, with his mate Benjamin Jackson, also 14, had relieved a woman named Anne Saunders of a bundle of clothes. The apple of Anne Westwood's eye was found guilty and Jackie Jackie was sentenced to 12 months imprisonment with hard labour at Chelmsford Jail. His partner in crime fared better. Benjamin Jackson was sentenced to be whipped and was then released, for it was determined that Jackie Jackie was the leader in this diabolical criminal enterprise. His first time inside was an eye-opening and brutal experience. Jackie Jackie had to constantly defend his behind from unwelcome intrusions. Whilst learning to use his fists to assuage the unwanted pants invaders, Jackie also honed his craft in thieving and dishonesty. Upon release, a more hardened, street-savvy William Jackie Jackie Westwood emerged. Gone was his want of childhood things, to be replaced with criminal urges and a desire for riches and the finer things in life. Expensive rosé, a diamond-studded cane and fancy clothes. Exactly. He wanted a really sweet coat. Well, he's essentially a thief that specialises in stealing clothes. At this point. On January 3rd, 1837, Jackie Jackie, aged 17, came upon such a majestic coat. Now, all of the events we're about to describe are true, but we have taken a little bit of dramatic licence with the words that were spoken, which is kind of not uncommon for us. Wandering through a stable late at night, Jackie Jackie, with his friend James Bird, spotted an aptly named great coat hanging on a post. Seeing no one around, they inspected it with greedy eyes. Breathtakingly beautiful, the great coat was resplendent with gold buttons and coloured a rich royal blue. Oh, I know, the exquisite garment could have even been a Petersham greatcoat, lavish enough to be worn by its inventor himself, Viscount Petersham. This masterpiece of bespoke tailoring was topped with a white collar and cape, completed with a splash of cheeky red cotton stitching. I mean to have you, even if it is by burglary. An excited Jackie Jackie uttered to his companion. Um, what? James Bird, who was clearly not a Withnall and I fan, replied. The coat I'm talking about. Oh, 
I don't know, Jackie. We could get in a lot of trouble, James Bird countered. Everybody will know it's not yours and that you pinched it. Perhaps you're right, my dear friend, but I would expect a garment so fine would fetch a pretty penny. And just like that, the decision was made to swipe the great coat and exchange it for a handful of shillings. The very next morning, Jackie and Bird headed down to Hare Street, Hertfordshire, and entered a clothes shop. The proprietor, John Warner, looked at the stolen coat and offered the pair the princely sum of six shillings, which they took. Meanwhile, in another part of Hertfordshire, a wealthy man by the name of John Rickett was getting ready to start his day. He wandered to his front door, about to leave his home. Rickett looked at his coat rack and scratched his head, for he did not find what he was searching for, and looked across the hall to where his wife was sitting in the parlour, sipping tea. Balls in a bathtub, Bertha. Where's my great coat? Bertha replied, Well, I'm sure I don't know, John. Perhaps you left it in the stable last night. With an irritated grunt, John Rickett left his house coatless, intent on locating his much-loved great coat. Upon arriving at the stable and after a thorough search, Rickett uttered, Camel-wearing pantaloons? My coat! It's not bloody well here! <laughs> Shivering on the cold January morning, he muttered to himself, Chimpanzees wearing ladies' underwear. I'm colder <laughs> than a Welsh miner's cocker spaniel. I shall have to purchase another coat. <laughs> Strolling down Hare Street, Hertfordshire, John Rickett came upon a clothes shop. With his arms folded against the cold breeze, Rickett called out to the shopkeeper. Proprietor, what's your name? The proprietor replied, Warner, sir. John Warner. Well, Warner, what fine coats do you have on offer? I'm bloody well freezing my tits off. Well, sir, we have this lovely great coat that has just come in. Worthy of Viscount Petersham himself, wouldn't you say, sir? Rah! That's my coat! What boiling buggery is this? You expect me to buy back my own coat, you thieving miscreant? After much gnashing of teeth, it was established the great coat had been stolen and sold by William Jackie Jackie Westwood and James Bird. A local constable was called in by the name of Charles Moss, who was dispatched with great haste to arrest the coat-thieving criminals. He located the pair in a local tavern, ingesting their ill-gotten gains in beer form. Jackie Jackie wiped the foam off his chin as he was hauled out roughly by the collar and declared, It wasn't me. You have the wrong man. <laughs> Problem was, it was him and they had the right man. He was actually the world's first Michael Caine impersonator. Like, he impersonated Michael Caine long before Michael Caine even existed. He does sound a lot like him, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, I know. It's like listening to a mirror for Michael Caine. Both Jackie and Bird appeared at the Essex Quarter Sessions in Chelmsford. John Bird was acquitted for some reason, Tara. It was suspected he passed the right hand with the right amount of shillings. Jackie Jackie was found guilty, and because this was his second offence, he was considered a serial clothes thief. Quite a serious charge. He was sentenced to transportation for 14 years. Did he get to pick where he went? Did he pick Hawaii? He didn't get to pick where he went. He was sent to Australia. Oh, that's much worse. But before that, he was delivered to the aptly named Hellhole Prison Hulk Leviathan in Portsmouth Harbour. Jackie Jackie was held there for a month before being transferred to the curiously named ship, the Mangles. Setting sail on the Mangles on March 18, 1837 with 308 other poor souls, he arrived in Sydney four months later on July 9th. 
The journey changed him in temperament and appearance. He now sported several tattoos on his arms and his face looked fearsome with more than a few nasty scars. Probably from more than a few naked knife fights. I love that movie with Vigo. Eastern Promises. It's a very good movie. He was described in the convict records as being fine-featured, having a large round head, five foot four tall, of small build with a ruddy complexion, brown hair and dark grey eyes. His bottom was described as firm and frog-like. Actually, convict records don't list bottom descriptions, Tara. Pity. He was first assigned to Philip Parker King at his property Dunheaved at Rooty Hill in Western Sydney. Here he kept his head down, did his work, stayed out of trouble, and even though the work was ball-bustingly hard, he was treated fairly by the overseer. In December 1837, he was sent to work on a family property, Gidley, just out of Bungendore, New South Wales. His experience here was in complete contrast to his last work assignment. The Gidley overseer, let's call him Ian, was a cruel and vicious man. But surprisingly, a great dancer and a kind and sensitive lover. No, he wasn't. (laughs) The overseer Ian gave Jackie rags to wear and fed him rotten food. Our lover of fine coats did not care for this treatment and attempted escape on more than one occasion. Unfortunately, each time he was recaptured, after which he received a sound beating from Ian and was then put back to work. Ian's a cat's name. Ian is a cat's name. It's true. Was he a cat? No, cats, oh, well, cats could be mean. Cats can be a bit mean. Yeah, cats can be a bit mean. Fed up with the sounds of his grumbling belly, Jackie Jackie stole some wheat. Before he could fashion it into some kind of bread, he was caught. For this, he copped six months working on the rough roads in a chain gang. Ah, at least he escaped from the cruel and fine dancing Ian. Jackie found this back-breaking road work not to his liking, so once again he escaped, but once again he was caught. As punishment, Jackie Jackie publicly received 50 lashes by Queen Bian's official scourger. Belts off, trousers down. What do you reckon's worse, a public whipping or a private whipping? Well, if I had to choose, I think I would prefer a private whipping. Yeah, same. Like, I think it would be better to cry and scream and soil your pants without an audience present. Though on the plus side, at least they didn't have phone cameras back then. After this brutal and torturous experience, Jackie scratched his chin and possibly his balls and resolved to make his next escape attempt a more permanent move. In September 1840, he did just that and scarpered with his nasty felon buddy, Paddy Curran. Curran was described in local papers as a most determined scoundrel and murderer. According to Jackie, in a later published memoir, he convinced Curran to join him by saying... I took his hand and I said, here is my hand and my heart to go with you if you like. But that's a lot more romantic than I was expecting. Well, there is actually evidence that Jackie may have enjoyed the company of men, but more on that later. The pair avoided capture by hiding in dense bushland in the mountains. I'll bet they did. For their first act of defiance, they robbed a traveller near the 11-mile turnoff, close to what is now known as Captain's Flat Road. Jackie Jackie levelled his pistol at the terrified traveller and demanded, Stand! Don't move hand or foot or I'll blow your brains out. However, the traveller did move and gave them seven pounds. Quite a sum of money at the time. What is a house but bricks and mortar, Master Wayne? She was only 16 years old. Next, they robbed the house of Philip Parker King. Curran had history with King and wanted revenge on the bad treatment he'd endured when in King's employment. 
Much to Jackie's disgust, Curran figured he'd reveal to the world what a great guy he was by raping King's wife. Upon discovering this vile and shameful act, Jackie pulled Curran off the poor woman and beat him to within an inch of his life. Then he declared that if they ever met again, he would kill him. I'm just going to go ahead and assume this means they broke up. Paddy Curran was captured soon afterwards and they hanged the bastard at the Berrima scaffold. Now a solo bushranger, over the next few months, Jackie Jackie garnered quite a reputation as a courteous and respectful robber who never actually killed or hurt any of his victims. News of Jackie's daring deeds began to spread through the region. On one occasion, it was claimed he bailed up a commissary and upon discovering the commissary's wife was in the coach, opened the door, swept the ground with his cabbage tree hat in a gentlemanly manner and invited her to dance with him, a request that she happily obliged. Among his spoils were clothing, guns, ammunition, money and food, along with fancy racehorses to ensure a quick getaway. This also meant he could ride long distances in short periods of time. Jackie Jackie often showed up in a tailored suit to a robbery and was never rude to women. A £30 reward was posted across Australia calling for him to be nabbed, dead or alive, but nobody seemed interested. The newspaper The Australian commented that the cool intrepidity and daring of this man is astonishing. He is moreover well-dressed and assumes all disguises. According to the Guide to Bush Ranging blog, on the afternoon of Monday, January 11th, 1841, Jackie Jackie stole a fancy black mare from a Mr. MacArthur before he attempted to rob a mailman, whereupon shots were fired. The next day, he raided a store at Borrow Creek where he procured fine garments and dressed himself in haute couture, including a rather fetching top hat. A denim top hat? I fucking hope so. All of this thieving did not please the small community at Burrow Creek. Such was the extent of their outrages that many mounted police, black trackers included, were dispatched in hot pursuit, led by the famed bad dude hunter, Lieutenant Christie. Later that month, William Jackie Jackie Westwood's luck ran out. Hoisted on his own petard and suffering in what can only be described as a bad case of hubris, Jackie Jackie was captured by five civilians, which included the priest of Bungendore at a pub near Berrima. But Jackie wasn't known as a repeat bolter for nothing. The slippery sucker escaped from the nearby lockup at Bargo, pinching some guns and ammunition off one of the troopers before scampering off. The day after his daring escape, he held up Mr Francis MacArthur. He stole his money and his valuable horse. Afterwards, he holed up at a pub called Gray's Inn, about two miles from Berrima. The publican, Mr Gray and his wife, didn't care for Jackie's drunken shenanigans. According to the Bathurst Free Press and Mining Journal, which is a great read... Uh, I really enjoy the centrefold. Well, they reported that Jackie Jackie was set upon by Mr Gray, who was assisted by his wife and daughter, Ms Gray. It was reported that she displayed remarkable bravery. A carpenter named Waters also joined in on the attack and felled the bushranger by a blow to the head with a shingling hammer. And just like that... Jackie Jackie was captured again. Mr Gray scored the £30 reward and Waters, the carpenter who assisted the capture, who was a convict, received a free pardon. On April 8, 1841, Jackie stood at the Berrima Circuit Court charged with stealing in a dwelling house, robbing with firearms and horse stealing. 
Found guilty on all charges and sentenced to life imprisonment, Jackie Jackie was taken to Darlinghurst Jail, an escape-proof stone fortress full of misery and despair. Ah, oh, it doesn't sound like Darlinghurst has changed that much. It really hasn't. Shots fired! Here, after two days, he promptly escaped. He was captured soon after, and although in chains, he escaped from the stone quarry Picton lockup. When he spotted troopers on the way to Sydney, he hid by climbing the nearest tree. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. We'll be back with the conclusion of William Jackie Jackie Westwood and the Cooking Pot Rebellion after this. What time is it, Barney? It's true crime nerd time. True Crime Nerd Time is an opportunity for you, our listeners, to give us your recommendations for anything true or fiction crime related. It can be a book, movie, TV series, graphic novel, song, frog bottom, or just about anything that has scratched your crime-obsessed itch. You can record your voice, just do it on your phone, we'll play it, or write it, and we'll read it out. And we have one here from Alice, and she tells us about the band Skinned. I think I'm saying that right. I know, like it, it could be. What else could it Skinnered? be? Skinned. Skined. Skined. Anyway. Oh, uh, well, as in like Leonard Skinnered, their Skinnered is spelt differently. Than yeah. They? they have like an E in it. Well, Alice writes, Dear Barney and Tara, I just wanted to share with you my submission for True Crime Nerd Time. I've been a fan of this fairly new band for a while now, and I think they may be of some interest to your listeners. Skinned are a mysterious band who produce dance-slash-electronic music with a bit of a rock twist. Each of their songs is based on a true crime story from anywhere in the world. So far, they have written several songs about subjects such as the Jonestown Massacre, Elisa Lamb's Unusual Death, that was in that uh, water tank at the Cecil Hotel, The Night Stalker, Richard Ramirez, Great Cheekbones, and Australia's own Catherine Knight. I hope the Catherine Knight song's called Dinner's Ready. Oh, you know what? It could also be called Sunday Roast. The band comprises three members, Skinned herself, her father, and an unnamed drummer, which I find only adds to their mystery and intrigue. Their look is very distinctive, as are the creepy videos for each track. That sounds a lot like us, because you're my dad, and um, we've never told anyone the name of our drummer. (laughs) My God, that's exactly like us. Look, don't even ask me what the name of my drummer is because I will not tell you. I don't even want you looking at my drummer. Thank you very much. Don't look at my drummer. I certainly don't want you taking pictures and reverse Google imaging them. Skinned has a strong interest in true crime and finds the evil aspect of the human psyche fascinating. Their website reads... I want to get as close as possible to the evil that humans are capable of. I'm obsessed with it. For weeks, months even, I've been trying to get into the heads of the most vicious, cruel killers. There is nothing more fascinating to me than people who have reached the boundary of their humanity. 
And don't even ask me what my drum is called. Because <laughs> I will not tell you. I am lucky enough to have seen Skinned live twice and both times have been blown away by the intensity of their performances. They even went as far as to set up a bloodstained evidence room at one venue. Mm, commitment. The only way to access the stage area was to walk through this in almost total darkness. It is this all-in immersive approach to their subject matter that I feel takes them to the next level. I have a strong feeling this band are going to only increase in popularity as they have been recently supporting the Japanese band Baby Metal on their European tour. No furthermore, their track based on the crimes of Gary Heidnick also featured Jonathan Davies of Korn fame. That's Korn with a K. I strongly urge any fan of True Crime who is looking for something a little different to the more mainstream songs to check them out. Lots of love, Alice. Actually, she did write lots of love. She just said Alice. (laughs) She wrote, now fuck off back into lockdown, you Melbourneian fucks, Alice. No, she didn't. (laughs) By the way, it would have been okay if she wrote that. Go for it, Alice. Yeah, yeah, that's probably what like people who've actually met us would write. <laughs> she was much sweeter than that. Well, thanks, Alice. That band is skinned, the details of which will be in the show notes. Now, if you'd like to submit to True Crime Nerd Time, visit our website, bloodymurderpodcast.com, for instructions on how to contribute. So, Barney, is it still 2020? I'm afraid so, Tara. But it feels like it's been years. Decades, even. Ugh, is everything going on in the world at the moment and the way this year is panning out, interfering with your ability to be happy? Is something stopping you from achieving your goals? Have you had as much as you can take and you're not sure what to do about it? Or perhaps all of this is just making the other stuff you have to deal with even harder. We're both big believers in therapy and there's no better time than now to take care of your mental health. Better help is there for you no matter where you are. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can connect in a safe and private online environment. And you can start communicating in under 24 hours. It's professional counselling that produces real results, not self-help. You can get in touch with your counsellor at any time. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses, plus you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. All without having to sit in a germy, uncomfortable waiting room. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy and free to change counsellors if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline counselling, and financial aid is available. And it's a service you can access worldwide. You can be communicating with licensed professional counsellors who have a broad range of expertise and specialise in areas such as relationships, sleeping problems, LGBTQI matters, grief and self-esteem. Anything you share is confidential. It's convenient, professional and very affordable. If you want to start living a happier life today, connect with BetterHelp. And as a Bloody Murder listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com forward slash bloody murder. Join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they're recruiting additional counsellors in all 50 states of the USA. Get matched with a counsellor that suits you by simply filling out a questionnaire to help them assess your needs. If you don't believe us, you can check out the dozens of positive testimonials on their website. So visit betterhelp.com forward slash bloody murder. That's betterhelp.com forward slash bloody murder. And now for the conclusion of William Jackie Jackie Westwood and the Cooking Pot Rebellion. 
Jackie Jackie was next spotted at a toll gate on the Parramatta Road about three miles out of Sydney. He asked the tollkeeper if he'd ever heard of Jackie Jackie. Oh, duh, replied the man. But he is a long way off. He ain't coming to Sydney. They would catch him if he did. Jackie then drew his pistol from his waist and told the tollkeeper, They don't know how to catch him, nor how to keep him when they do catch him. I'm Jackie Jackie. Shit from a bull, said the tollkeeper. You ain't no outlaw. (laughs) It took some convincing, but eventually the man knew it to be true. Jackie gave him a bottle of rum for his trouble and rode on. And the guy was like, I prefer vodka. (laughs) Jackie Jackie ran into some troopers the next day and was captured again. Fearing his escape, authorities sent him to the inescapable Cockatoo Island at Port Jackson, where he proceeded to... Make small wooden canoes? No, he escaped! Well, you know, he attempted to. Jackie and 25 other convicts tried to escape by paddling across to the mainland, but the men were followed by the popo in their popo boat and all were captured. Now the powers that be thought Jackie to be a serious pain in their asses, and as a result of their sore bottoms and bruised egos, it was decided to ship Jackie to the most nasty Port Arthur penal settlement in Van Diemen's land. Tasmania. Yep. Port Arthur was traumatic long before the albino nightmare Martin Bryant came along. Travelling on the brig, the Governor Philip, Jackie Jackie attempted escape from the ship's hold. It did not matter that he was naked and shackled below deck. The escape was foiled. As Jackie and some other prisoners broke free from their cages and tried to reach the deck, soldiers battened down the hatches and kept them shut until arrival at Port Arthur. When the hatches were opened, the prisoners were unconscious, having been denied food and oxygen. After arriving at Port Arthur, he... Painted oversized ceramic ducks? Yeah, nah, he... Invented the first Sudoku puzzle? No! Captured lightning in a bottle and rammed it up his ass. No, fool, he escaped. Let's make this a game. So you have to take a drink every time we say escaped. If you want to get serious about it, go back and start listening to the episode from the beginning. FYI, you're going to need a bigger bottle of alcohol. His freedom was not to last long. After nine days of hiding in the bush, he walked back to the prison as he was a tad hungry and cold. It's like when you run away from home and your parents don't care and then you end up having to go back because <laughs> you didn't have anywhere to go. And they say, where were you gone? Yeah, yeah. And then they laugh at you. Another time, Jackie and two other prisoners absconded again from Port Arthur. Absconded. That means escaped. Time to do a shot. You know it. Now, the prison is located on a peninsula. Only a 30-metre-wide land bridge connected the prison to the mainland. Soldiers guarded that passage along with half-starved dogs. Aww. Jackie and two other convicts decided to escape by swimming to the mainland. Only Jackie Jackie made it. The other two got eaten by sharks. Tasmanian sharks. Yum! Yum! But don't fret. A year later, he escaped again. Glug, 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 glug. Chuck that booze back down your laughing gear, folks. This time he made it all the way to Hobart, where he was spotted by coppers and thrown in the local lockup. Pulling their hair out, it was decided to send Jackie to the last place they had left to send him. Toledo? What? No. The notorious Norfolk Island, the penal colony of penal colonies. A cruel and harsh place where all who enter should abandon hope. Coincidentally, that was also the motto of my previous employer. 
Norfolk Island housed the men colonial administrators judged the worst description of convicts. Though whilst reading up on this island of hell, we came across a few interesting factoids in listicles. That's right. According to some research completed by Destiny Rogers, writing for qnews.com.au, the picturesque penal settlement had a reputation for other more saucy things. Crimes that the Catholic Vicar General of the colonies told an inquiry would make your blood to freeze and your hair to rise erect in horror. The Vicar General put to the inquiry that up to two-thirds of the island population indulged in what he called same-sex crimes. It's reported that as many as 300 of the convicts on the island lived together as man and wife. Ooh, they really did put the peen in penal colony. It loves love, mate. I hope they're all happy together. Oh, same, absolutely. Love Island, it should be called. A friend of Jackie Jackie, Dennis Prendergast, penned a letter that has survived to this day and is possibly Australia's earliest known gay love letter. Would you like to hear it, Tara? You know I want to hear it. Dear Jack, I hope you won't forget me when I am far away and all my bones is moulded away. I have not closed an eye since I lost sight of you. Your precious sight was always a welcome and loving, charming spectacle. I value death nothing but is in leaving you, my dear, behind and no one to look after you. The only thing that grieves me, love, is when I think of the pleasant nights we have had together. I hope you won't fall in love with no other man when I am dead, and I remain your true and affectionate lover. Now, we don't know if this letter was intended for William Jackie Jackie Westwood, as Jack was a common name, but we do know they were well known to each other as they shared a scaffold together. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. A few weeks after arriving at Man Love, Norfolk Island, Jackie Jackie rescued two men from drowning. As a result, the Commandant, a bloke by the name of W.T. Champ, promoted him to be on his boat crew. What do you think the W.T. stands for? What the? What the Champ? Jackie was eventually granted probation and in May 1845 sent to another penal settlement in Glen Orkey, just north of Hobart. Here the temptation to escape was too strong, and like a denim top hat in a hurricane, he was once again in the wind. Ah, uh, it's a formal jorts hat. <laughs> That's right, fine enough to be married in. They probably wore them when they got married. Man married. Each one would wear a formal oh, denim top hat. Jorts hat and a pair of denim cutoffs. Yeah. It must have been summer, because it gets pretty cold in Tassie. Yeah. Jackie Jackie stole guns and ammunition was on the lam. Four months later, he was recaptured and sent back to the most nasty but full of man love, Norfolk Island. Do we know why he's actually called Jackie Jackie? I mean, it's not traditionally short for William, is it? Really? Because, like, that's my dad's name and I don't call him Jackie Jackie very often. No, no it sounds so nice. You've got to say it twice. But there had been a change in leadership at the island. Gone was the hard but fair Captain Alexander Macanocci. Like most prison captains of the time, he didn't have a problem with dealing out severe punishment to the wicked, but men who behaved were treated with dignity and respect. Macanocci was a big believer in rehabilitation, which was not a popular idea at the time. Prisoners who towed the line were allowed to have some independence, such as small farm plots in which they could grow sweet potatoes and other vegetables and their love for one another. The kind-hearted Macanocci also shortened hours of labour and holidays were granted to those convicts whose behaviour was considered satisfactory. 
But the biggest deal was that each prisoner was allowed to cook his own meals in saucepans and kettles provided by the garrison. Flogging incidents were decreased but still strictly enforced in cases of sodomy, which were, well, as we know, quite popular throughout the prison. So they decreased the whipping unless you were into it. Yeah, yeah. And also, you know, they probably were like, oh, what does, oh, hang on, that sounds a bit sexy. I'm not going to, I'm not going to supervise that area of the, of the, you know, the colony for a minute. Let's just let them do that in, in private. Captain Makinochi was replaced by the total dickhole, Major Joseph Childs, who decided to shake things up a bit. One by one, the privileges that had been enjoyed by the well-behaved men were taken away. First to go were the holidays. Then he lengthened the daily hours of work the men had to do. Next, he abolished the private farm plots and he cut down the prisoners' rations, removed their denim top hats and banned jorts from the colony. No! But the final straw... But the final straw that not only broke the camel's back but then took a shit on it was when on July 1st, 1846, he took away the thing that defines all humans, that last vestige of individuality, the heart of the men's soul, their cooking pots. Major Childs issued a proclamation that food was now to be served in bulk, that no personal cooking was to be permitted, and that every kettle, saucepan and cooking utensil held by prisoners were to be surrendered. The very next day, right after compulsory prayers, 1,600 convicts went into the lumberyard to discuss this travesty, this affront to men's freedom. There was much yelling. Some men broke down and cried <laughs> to their discarded jorts. But there was a leader among them, someone who knew what needed to be done. The fine-featured man stood five foot four tall. He had a large round head. He was of small build with a ruddy complexion, brown hair and dark eyes. His frog-like bottom, firm and proud. And that brave, strong man was William Jackie Jackie Westwood. A hush came over the prisoners. Jackie looked over the sea of devastated men and said in a loud and clear voice, They can take our lives, they can take our freedom, but they will never take our cooking pots. Actually, he said this. The scum are trying to starve us to death. Hanging would be better than this, lads. Let's up and kill the swine. I've made up my mind to bear this oppression no longer. But remember, I'm going to the gallows. If any man funks, let him stand out. Those who want to follow me, come on! Gathering in a rough military formation, they marched to the barrack yard, heads held high. As they reached the large, wooden, heavy doors of the prison kitchen, a silence befell the downtrodden convicts. All eyes turned to Jackie Jackie. He took in their gaze and then turned sharply to the kitchen at which he yelled, Let us take back our cooking pots! With that, a scream of hurrah rang out from the prisoners as they stormed the store. But did they break down the door first? Well, no, it wasn't locked. Oh, was it one of those quiet neighbourhoods where nobody locks their doors? <laughs> That's right. They rushed in and seized every pot, saucepan, skillet, spatula, ladle and utensil they could find. It was on like Donkey Kong, Tara. Jackie Jackie, his face transformed with rage, was the first to strike. A constable who was watching the proceedings with a bemused look on his face was the first to be clobbered. The constable wasn't trying to intervene or anything? No, not really. He wasn't even trying to stop them. He just gave Jackie the side eye. Oh. For that, he got a punch in the face. 
After the copper went down, he was surrounded by many angry convicts who proceeded to beat him to death with every pot, saucepan, skillet, spatula, ladle and utensil they could find. Oh, dear. In fact, one had a trident. Trident? Like the condoms? No, I mean like more like a pitchfork. Well, yeah, pitchfork and condom. You don't want to confuse the two, do you? <laughs> no, that's that's it. That's a part of Aquaman they don't show you. Yeah. <laughs> After this angry mob went to the... After this angry mob... <laughs> It's the only part I want to see. <laughs> After this, the angry mob went to the cookhouse. Here, Jackie found Stephen Smith, the mess overseer. Jackie, Jackie went at him hard with his fists. For God's sake, don't hurt me, Jackie. Remember my wife and children. Damn your wife and children. Much like the constable, there was not much of Stephen Smith left when the rest of the convicts were through with him. The wild, rushing mass of about 1,600 angry prisoners then headed back to the barrack yard gate, where a sentry and an overseer who tried to stop them were attacked. The target of their rage was Captain Child and the local magistrate, Judge Barrow, who were both at Government House, a ways down the road. Jackie Jackie, now armed with a rather large axe, ran over to a hut just outside the walls, forced open the door and killed two policemen, one of whom was asleep in his bed. As a mob moved down the roads towards Government House, they were confronted by a line of over a hundred soldiers, muskets at the ready, aimed at their heads. Jackie tried to egg the men on, but the sight of the rifles took the air out of their sails and they deflated like cheap jumping castles. They began to retreat back towards the lumber yard. Oh, uh, what were we doing this for again? Cooking pots. Oh yeah, well, um, I'm just going to go over here. The men surrendered, had their weapons taken from them, and they were returned to their cells. Jackie Jackie, the ringleader, and 11 other men deemed to be the most prominent of the mob, including Jackie's mate Dennis Prendergast, were rounded up. Ah, Prendergast. He's the one who wrote the love letter. While in his cell, Jackie was befriended by Thomas Rogers, a religious instructor who encouraged him to dictate an account of his life. Jackie Jackie did so, and it was published in the Australasian Journal in 1879. All men were found guilty and sentenced to be hanged. A massive scaffold was built to accommodate them, and all were hanged in one go on October 13, 1846. William Jackie Jackie Westwood was buried in unhollowed ground. He was only 26 years old. He was only 26 years old. <laughs> I was actually waiting for that. Actually, after the mass execution, all the men's bodies were dumped in a pit outside the cemetery. Damn, that's cold. Before his death, he wrote to the clergyman, Thomas Rogers. Sir, out of this bitter cup of misery, I have drank on for my 16th year, 10 long years, and the sweetest draught is that which takes away the misery of a living death. All will then be quiet. No tyrant will then disturb my repose, I hope. He also wrote to his parents before his death, enclosing a lock of his hair. From his head, possibly. The strong ties of the earth will soon be wrenched. The burning fever of this life will be quenched. And my grave will be a haven, a resting place for me. Well, I guess his mother was right. Well, yeah, it was a most uncommon life. And what is a house but bricks and mortar, Marshall Wayne? <laughs> <laughs> Was that, was that fun, getting to do your Michael Caine again? That's fucking awesome. I love it. <laughs> so they, did they, they hung 1,600 of them? No, just those, those, just 12. 
Just 12. Oh, okay. Because um, when it talked about a huge scaffolding, part of me was like, wow, 1,600. <laughs> wow. Look at the size of that platform. Okay. So it wasn't quite as big as I was picturing it. But, oh. you know, not the first time I've said that. By the way, the great cooking pot rebellion of 1846 actually worked. Um, uh, that island, Man Love Norfolk. Island. Norfolk. Norfolk was uh, The prison there was shut down soon afterwards. And some reform went through the judiciary and prison systems of uh, of Australia, so it actually well, well, worked. Okay, it was it was pretty mighty compared to oh. well, you know, other ones. That's mm. see what see what men can do when they work together. Yeah, people can't see your eyebrows going up and down, <laughs> but I can, and I'm offended by them. Oh come on! There's no, I mean it with awesomeness. I have a question about your eyebrows. Yes. What is Aussie as? Aussie as are tales of criminal stupidity and bloody legends with a quintessentially Australian flavour. Would you like to hear one? Yes, I would. This is one of the most requested Aussie Azzas I've ever done. So thanks to Kitty Mayhem, Justin Smith and Sean Anthony for suggesting it. Now, I hope I haven't left anyone out and I feel like I have, but I checked all the social media business Anyway, good luck listening to this if you're driving. Mm -hmm. According to Nine News, at around 5pm on June 15th this year, a 27-year-old man named Jimmy from Gladstone in Queensland was driving down the busy Dawson Highway when he felt some unexpected action between his legs. Unexpected and unwanted Officers spotted Jimbo's ute speeding down the highway at 123 kilometres or 76 miles an hour. They popped on their emergency vehicle lights and siren and promptly pulled him over. The officer's body cam filmed a panic-filled but surprisingly calm-sounding Jimbo as he explained what had happened. He said he was innocently driving along, probably listening to Cold Chisel and drinking a Big M Chalky Milk when a deadly eastern brown snake entered the cab of his ute. He said it came into his vehicle through the hole where the gear stick was. Ugh, thanks in advance for my future nightmares. I know, right? Jimbo told the officer that the more he moved his legs as he pumped on the brakes, the more the deadly snake wrapped itself around them and got agitated. Jimbo remarked, Oh, its head started to strike at the seat and between my legs. Oh, come on, Snakey, don't bite Jimbo on his baby Jimbo-making junk. <laughs> exactly. Activating his inner MacGyver, Jimbo used a seatbelt and a work knife to fight off the snake while managing to stop his ute without crashing. He was worried that he'd been bitten and was going to die, so he killed the snake, chucked it in the back of the ute and started speeding towards the nearest hospital. Jimbo told the cop, I think it's bitten me. It was in the car with me. Oh, you can feel my heart, mate. The officer located the dead snake in the back of the ute. According to a police statement, although the traffic officer had heard his fair share of excuses for speeding, he soon realised this was not just another colourful tale and promptly sought medical assistance. Jimbo told the police he'd never been so happy to be pulled over by them before. An ambulance was called and paramedics determined that Jimbo had not actually been bitten by the snake but was suffering from shock. It was pretty bloody terrifying, he said. University of Queensland snake expert Brian Fry told the ABC Jimbo had good reason to freak out as brown snakes have unusually fast-acting venom and can kill within 15 minutes. 
Jimbo wasn't fined for speeding under these circumstances, as it would have been very unfair, Dinkum, of the police to do so. So do you know what else is in Gladstone, apart from crotch-threatening deadly snakes, Barney? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, a place named Barney Point. So it's a lovely beachside suburb, though I'd consider it more of a chode than a point. What does that mean? <laughs> well, I don't, I've often... I don't know whether I'm being insulted <laughs> you or, don't or praised. <laughs> What's my cube-like penis got anything to do with this lovely beachside suburb? <laughs> I don't actually know anymore. Uh, look, I think when you don't know if you're being praised or, or abused, that's kind of that's that's my that's my happy valley where I live, Barney. <laughs> so this brings us to the end of the episode. But before we go, we'd like to thank some people who took the time to write us some good reviews. So thank you to... Sabda Sillies from Australia. Mara Vlad from the United States. Mockingbird from the United States. The Dickos One, who we don't know where they're from. <laughs> I wonder if there's another way that... <laughs> Could it be like Thetikos or something? And you're like, oh, the Dickos. <laughs> it might be like a beautiful Greek name and you've oh, just right. insulted them. <laughs> Thetikos. Thetikos one. We'd also like to thank Lorraine and our Facebook moderating team. You know who else is awesome? Yes. Our patrons. Uh-huh. We love them. We love them so much we've been holding monthly giveaways. Our June prize, the Hey Baby prize pack, was won by Vicky Frederick, so congratulations, Vicky. For our July prize, we're giving away a three-pack of Bloody Murder socks. Put them on your walking hands. There's, there's a pair that has keep kicking against the pricks on them, so you can wear them when you kick against the pricks. Yeah, when you're kicking the pricks. Yeah, prick kicking socks, finally! For a chance to win, be a Bloody Murder patron at a level of $5 or above. Now, we've had a bunch of new bloody legends join our Patreon program, so thank you to Christy Daniels, Aletha Mitchell, and Alana C. Thank you so much. Because, you know, Alana and Alana are very different, remember? <gasps> oh, that's that chick that you went out with that I used to see in the dog park. She was funny. I liked her. I liked her too. She didn't like me, though. <laughs> you liked her too? What did you say? She didn't like no. you. <laughs> nah, she didn't like me, though. Our party's not for everybody. If you would like to support us, visit our website, or if you just want to buy us a drink, <clears throat> that's my thirsty voice, there's a PayPal donate button there too. I've been Barney Black. And I've been Tara Saraband. And this is Bloody Murder. Please don't forget to review us on Apple Podcasts or our Facebook page. You don't need to write a well-crafted essay, just five stars and a hair baby would still count. <laughs> and of course, rate and subscribe. It really helps us grow our audience and inspires us to create hauntingly beautiful underwater ballet routines with manatees. Well, you, you, we've got a dream. We've got to have I a dream. I do it all the time. I do it all the time. Maybe in your head. Well, yeah, sometimes my head, sometimes other people's heads. I can time travel into people's minds. You can follow us through our Facebook page or join our Facebook group. Uh, on Twitter, we're at Bloody Murder Pod and Instagram, we're Bloody underscore Murder underscore Podcast. Check out our website, bloodymurderpodcast.com for news, galleries, more episodes and links to our threadless merchandise. Thanks for sticking around and we'll be back soon. Goodbye and adios. And keep kicking against the pricks. Hey, you know what our, our stories we're lacking in today? 
Um, two things. Poo. Was it poo things? Did you just say poo things? No, two things. Because I'm pretty sure there was something about a camel. Okay, yeah, what was it? No, the poo stuff was fine. Not <laughs> enough crocodiles. Ah. Oh, for yeah. Rebecca. It was, and what? For Rebecca. Yeah, I know we were going to make everything about crocodiles from now on for Rebecca, I if I remember correctly, because we're assholes and we wanted and also, to freak her out. And we didn't say the word cunt once. We didn't say the word cunt once during this episode? Well, now it's twice we've done it. <laughs> oh, there was this guy in a, like one of those motorised cart things in Ola the other day who uh, said excuse me to me quite rudely. Well, no, he could have just said excuse me so he could get past, but he said it very rudely, and I went, oh, sorry. And then I heard him muttering as he's driving through, oh, you fucking cunt. And I went, <laughs> and, and I said to him, excuse me, what did you just say to me? And, and he went, rah, 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 and, then he, and then he sped up and went off. Ah. And then I went to the next aisle, and the same exact thing happened to me. But with went, a different Excuse person. me. And I got out of the way. And then when he rode off, he went, oh, yeah, fucking cunt. So it was two, went, different, two different guys that both hate you, yeah? No, it was the same guy. No, they were twins. They it were twins and they both twins. hate you. And they're right yeah. to hate you. And, you know, I, look, I applaud him. He's right. I, I think he's, he'd be a new hero. I mean, don't uh, you yeah. want to do that? Don't you want to ride around Aldi on a mobility scooter swearing at people when you grow up? Yeah, yeah, mutter under your breath. Yeah, I like that. It's good. I'm surprised he didn't give you a slut sneeze. <gasps> that would have been pretty funny. If you were wearing your little shorty jorts, if it was summertime, he would have. Oh, yeah, with no shirt on, but top. Yeah, and you, no, you'd have, your little, you'd have your little Hooters singlet on. <laughs> and your and denim you know top hat. Well, I wouldn't have a singlet on at all. I'd just have a pink bow tie. <laughs> And you wonder why people are always putting all those like terrible outfits in our Facebook group. <laughs> I love them. I love them. Bring it on. Well, it's winter. If anyone actually wants to like crochet you anything, now would be the time. It's winter for us. This masterpiece of bespoke tailoring was topped with a white collar and cape, completed with a splash of cheeky red cotton stitching. I'd just like to say at this point, I did a lot of research on great coats. Yeah, look, it really research. sounds as, as, as though you might have um, perhaps uh, studied fashion at Parsons under the uh, tutelage of Tim Gunn and, and quite possibly also had a showing at New York, New York Fashion Week of your, like, 16 great coats that you made. Well, yeah, I mean, they don't call him a great coat for nothing. Um, yeah, all it said in the report is that he stole a great coat at a stable. Really? Yeah. And oh, then wow, got- well... But- you certainly, uh, you certainly brought the embroidery to this uh, this angle. Good work, son. Well, yeah, they do have a little cape. It comes down to about here. Oh, like uh, a little capelet. Oh, uh, yeah, Jack the Ripper. He had one of those coats. Yeah, he I had think. a great coat. Yeah. That's not very fair that someone so horrible had such an awesome coat. Scroll down, goddamn you. Yeah, it does that to me too. It it gets like um, you know, frozen. It gets uh flatulent in its scroll hood flatulence flatulence in its scroll hood i I actually meant flaccid in its scroll hood but you know that's the name of my fourth album yeah (laughs) yeah well it probably is actually i thought of another good name for a fourth album yeah 
Chocolate pasta. Chocolate pasta. Yum. Yum. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently, the chocolate pasta is a thing. Well, they do make dessert pizzas, but once you've had one or two of those, you're kind of like, meh. Yeah. I wonder if it's the same with chocolate pasta. Do they deep fry the chocolate pasta and then find a way to fill it with custard or what? Hey, I gave Mo a snack before for his afternoon tea. Yeah. And um, it was this this little biscuit and I said, this is a wagon wheel, but it comes from Aldi. Can you guess what it's called? Yeah. And he said, cartwheel? And I went, yeah. He actually nailed Ah. it. I thought it'd be called Rolly Kari. Rolly Kari Biscuity Choco. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Lickety split Rolly Kari Choco. Also, this computer keeps giving me updates from the Daily Mail, which I don't understand, but it does. It gives me like a dozen a day. Well, you need to know if Megan's wearing the right stockings. Well, the thing is that because of the ad blocker, even if I click on that article about whether or not Megan's wearing the right stockings, uh, it, it won't actually show me because the Daily Mail won't let you look at it with an ad blocker on. So well, it's kind can, of like... You can turn it off for each side. It's just up in the corner. I don't want to turn it off. And I it's don't want to read the great, Daily isn't Mail. It? And I don't want to know if Megan's wearing the right fucking stockings. She can wear whatever damn stockings she pleases. She wasn't friends with a dead rapist pedophile. So let's point the finger at Andrew instead, huh? I'm going to say fuck yeah to that. Yep, big fuck yeah. Well, I should save that for the other. Oh, there you go. Oh, I've got yeah. a recording of that burp. I can keep there that. There you go. Perfect. And paste it, in, paste it in later. Yeah, work your editing magic, frog bot. What did you call me? Nothing. Handsome, no. sexy Barney. Hey, baby. I said, hey, baby. I thought you called me frog bot. I would never. Good. Yeah, same. Like, I think it would be better to cry and scream and soil your pants without an audience present. Though on the plus side, at least they didn't have phone cameras back then. Well, the version of that was a sketch artist. Yeah, they could sketch you and post it on Sketchagram. Well, you know, they, they you know, woodcuts and stuff. They put him in the newspaper. It's a lot more expensive to uh, actually make a woodcut of something, though, isn't it? Yeah. Bit of a dying art. I don't think they want a woodcut of me shitting myself while I'm being whipped. Look, if you can think of it, someone has a porn fetish for it. That's just a fact, people. Paddy Curran was captured soon afterwards and they hanged the bastard. <coughs> bastard. Are Not you trying basket. to teach me how to swear? I'm trying to teach you how to say bastard. <laughs> Do you honestly think at this point anyone I can't get punched through the fucking messenger, can how I? How to fucking swear. How are you going to remotely punch person? me or throw shit at me? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now you're at a safe distance. You can really go for gold. I can. We're both big believers in therapy, and there's no better time than now to take care of your mental health. It helped Tony Soprano. Or is it easier if you're someone who's very stimulated by the sounds of someone's voice? Hey, baby. (laughs) (laughs) The sounds of someone's voice. (laughs) The sounds of someone's voice. I'm just going to talk like this from now on. <laughs> Better help is there for you, no matter what. Well, <laughs> and when I talk like this, that's how I laugh. <laughs> Better help is there for you, no matter where you are. <laughs> that, I re- that, yeah, that, stay I, home, you just... I'm going to have to do that again, aren't I? <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, look, trust me, I'm always wanting to actually do this in a, in a fuckety way, but uh, yeah, I don't think they'd like it. I'm going to put my foot on the windowsill, all right? I'm going to put it, my leg somewhere and I've run out of space. Jackie Jackie was next spotted at a toll gate on the Parramatta Road, about three miles out of Sydney. He asked the toll keeper if he had ever heard of Jackie Jackie. Oh, yes, replied the man, but he's a long way off. He ain't coming to Sydney. They'd catch him if he did. Did I just overact that so hard that I made Rick Mayo look subtle? I think you could do, you could come up with a voice for this guy. He's old, possibly Irish. I don't know. Maybe he's German. Ah, yes, but he is a long way off. Jackie Jackie was next spotted at a toll gate on the Parramatta Road, about three miles out of Sydney. He asked the tollkeeper if he'd ever heard of Jackie Jackie. Oh, yes, replied the man. But he's a long way off. He ain't coming to Sydney. Don't go to Sydney, baby. Ah, yes, but he's uh, fucking Russian. Come on. Oh, yeah, he can be Russian. Why not? Oh, da, replied the man. But he is a long way off. He ain't coming to Sydney. They would catch him if he did. Norfolk, Norfolk Island. <laughs> Why did it take me so long to get that? Norfolk Island. No fucks island. That's where I want to go on a holiday. That's some Heathcliff kind of stuff, isn't it? It really is. <laughs> and I had to read that while I'm boxing with this cat. Look at him. Yeah, I can see him attacking you. <laughs> You know what he is? He's actually my proxy. Get him, Laz. Get him. <laughs> oh, really? He's your proxy? Get him, Laszlo. Ow. Get him. Ow. Make him pay. Make him pay. Go away. You're mean. You're black Jump and white on his bastard. head, Laszlo. Go for the eyes. Go for the eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Pierce is nuts, Laszlo. Oh, come on. <laughs> Hey, um, I've got, I've got, I have a question. He took a shit on mm -hmm. a camel's back. It's not easy to do. I mean, if anyone had done it, it would probably be you. You like shitting on high surfaces. Well, you don't could you? just say stand at the base of this cliff or under this bridge. Oh, oh no! I was thinking that you'd have to be on the camel at the time, oh. and also because consent is important, the camel would have to be into it. Right, just stay there, um, Jerry the camel. I'm gonna go and fetch a stepladder. Yeah, and a glass coffee table. Ugh. Tom Selleck was there. Major Charles. Yeah, he was there. Tom Selleck. <laughs> oh, damn straight, he was there. Uh. He was at the front. He was. Uh, he was making it like a wood cutting of the whole thing as he watched it go down. Look, I don't know you people. My name's Tom Selleck, and I heard someone was going to take a shit in the camel. Mm, I'm here for that. I'm here for that. Yeah, my mustache is very into that. Oh, it's a <laughs> dirty mustache. It is. Pressure on my head since 1997. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.